Welcome to Bankery Christian Fellowship Church on this, the 16th of April. Um, if you're here in the church or you're listening online, a welcome to you, whether you're a regular or a visitor today. Um, we just pray that you'll enjoy the service with us today and that you will worship God and be in, in, with everybody else here gathered together in his name. The theme of today is what's in a name. So uh, my name's Adrian. I'm, I have the privilege of being one of the elders here. And uh, for the dyslexic, that sometimes comes out as a drain. So you've got some idea of what people sometimes think of me. Uh, <laughs> but we're going to be talking this morning about the Lord. I am who I am. And Duncan, our pastor, will be um, talking from Exodus 3 when Moses meets with God and God starts to reveal himself to Moses and the purpose he has for Moses. But in that uh, presentation, that passage, we get to see a little bit more about who God is and why we indeed are here this morning. So we're gathered to worship God and we all do that through singing, through praying and through hearing God's word direct to us. The reading is from Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 to 22. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh, to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, he has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, 
Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold, and for clothing which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, and uh, let me add to Adrian's welcome. Um, thanks for being with us today. We gather around God's Word, and if you're able to, please turn back with me to Exodus chapter 3. Uh, the verses we're considering today are printed in the, in the diary that you received on the way in, so please do follow along if you can. Uh, reading the Bible can be difficult, right? So I think for many of us, well, for many of us, we probably don't know where to start, or maybe we can be unsure, maybe even nervous about how the different parts of the Bible all fit together, and how do we make sense of these different kinds of parts of the Bible. And it's difficult for us because a lot of what we read just seems so far removed from our life in 21st century Scotland's well, the Bible is an ancient book, and in fact, it's made up of 66 books written over a period of about two and a half thousand years, and the last of those books was completed more than 1,900 years ago. So yes, it is a long way from us. But why? Why was it put together like that? I suppose the short answer is because, well, that's what God decided, but it does help us to know that that's how the Bible was put together. It helps us to understand the nature of what it is we hold in our hands when we read it. The Bible is God's revealing things to us. It is a book by God, about God, so that we might know God. And this long period of two and a half thousand years over which the Bible was written, it represents a progressive revelation about God. In other words, the picture of who God is builds up as we read through the Bible. He becomes more fully revealed to us as we go through it. And that is very clearly what happens in this passage that we are reading today. We enter in here in the life of Moses. Moses was the baby boy who was rescued from the sentence of death in Egypt by Pharaoh's daughter, 
raised in the palace as a prince of Egypt, and yet he knew that he had a Hebrew heritage. Seeing his people in slavery in Egypt was difficult for him. One day, burning with anger against the injustice that he saw was being inflicted upon one of his kinsmen, he killed an Egyptian slave master. To his surprise, it didn't gain him acceptance among the Israelites, and out of self-preservation, Moses had to leave Egypt at the ripe old age of 40. He got married, became a dad, worked as a shepherd for the next 40 years, and then in Exodus 3, we read that God appeared to him in a burning bush. And the verses that Leslie read for us are part of that conversation that God had with Moses when He appeared to him at that time. God comes to say that He's seen the suffering of His people, He's heard their cries for help, and God has come down to deliver them. And we read again verses we've looked at before. Verse 10 is the great punchline where God says to Moses, now come, I'll send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses is horrified at the prospect. He's not thrilled that he's being sent back to Egypt. So much so that the conversation goes on, and Moses is going to offer a succession of objections, a number of reasons why he shouldn't be the one to go. I think there are five objections in all. We're just looking at the first two of them today. This dialogue here is really God making Himself known to Moses, making Himself known to His people in a way that He had never been known before. And right at the heart of it is God revealing His name. If you look at verse 15, you'll see the name of God. He is the Lord and um, in your Bibles it will be in small capital letters, the Lord, which is really uh, the Hebrew name Yahweh. It's where the word Jehovah comes from, guide me, O thou great Jehovah. It's from this name of God, Yahweh, which our translators have translated as the Lord. Anytime you see that, it's not a description of God, it is His name. And in revealing Himself in this way, God is progressing His revelation. He's revealing more to humanity about who He is. And that's why it's important for us to ask of these verses, what's in a name? I mean, our names have meanings. If you trace them back far enough, I thought Adrian was going to tell us what his was, but he didn't, and I don't know what it is. For the record, my name means brown warrior. Um, increasingly become gray warrior, but um, uh, warrior nonetheless, friends. But what does it mean for God to have a name and for God to reveal that name to us? Well, we'll see that in a moment. Moses' first objection to God's mission is an understandable one. Do you see it in verse 11? He simply says, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Because, you know, for Moses, so much seemed to be against him. By now, Moses is 80 years old, 
And that's really not a good age to lead a country, in my opinion. His prior history in Egypt doesn't exactly give him cause for optimism either. When he tried to intervene on behalf of his people 40 years ago, well, it only created a mess. The Pharaoh at the time had wanted to kill him. And now look at him. He's just a shepherd wandering through the wilderness of Midian. What on earth is he going to do? And Moses' assessment of his own inadequacy is actually right. And you see, actually, when God replies to that objection, God doesn't correct him. He doesn't say, oh, now, Moses, you're being a bit harsh on yourself. He doesn't say that at all. God simply says, but I'll be with you. But I'll be with you. God shows him that having God with you far outweighs your weaknesses. Having God with you far outweighs your weaknesses. In fact, Moses' weakness is his qualification to be used by God. You see, when he was still in Egypt 40 years ago, he thought he could do something to liberate God's people. But now, 40 years later, he sees things very differently. Someone summed up Moses' life like this. He spent 40 years in Egypt learning he was something. He then spent 40 years in Midian learning he was nothing. And he would spend the next 40 years learning that God is everything. And how we need to learn that. Because that's what God is going to teach him. And so you notice in verse 12, God gives him a sign to confirm that he's been sent by God. Not the kind of sign that we would want to hear or like. Because God simply says, when you've brought the people out of Egypt, you'll serve God on this mountain. The sign is one that's in the future. Moses would probably have preferred the sign here and now, but God's saying this will be the sign. See this mountain that you stand on right now? You're going to come back here, and you're going to bring with you my people, and there they'll serve me. It will be a moment of huge significance when it comes, because this is the ultimate turnaround. They've been taken from slavery in Egypt to service of God. Now, Moses is still not satisfied. And so he has a second objection in verse 13. And he anticipates that when he goes to the Israelites, they're going to ask him some difficult questions. When he says to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, he says, you know, they might ask me, well, what is his name? And what shall I say to them? That's Moses' objection. What will I say if they ask me, what is his name? It's not actually immediately obvious to me what Moses imagines the Israelites are asking. But I think it probably helps us to remember that this people have been in Egypt for 400 years at this point. And in that time, not a word from God. Generations have passed, and all they've had is the tradition that has been passed down of how God spoke to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph but what about now? Moses is going to turn up and say, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they're likely to say, well, who are you speaking about? There's not been much talk of God here lately. Who is this God you speak of? And this is where God reveals himself in a way not known before. God reveals his name. 
It's not the first time that God's name has been used, but it's the first time that God gives us a look at what it means for Him to be Yahweh, the Lord. And we find that knowing God changes everything. Knowing God changes everything. So, notice with me in verses 14 and 15 that there are three times when we're told God said something. And it's always significant when you read in the Bible, God said. When God speaks, you must listen. God is answering Moses' question, who is the God of our fathers? And he starts, first of all, in verse 14 with this enigmatic phrase, I am who I am, which is followed up by the next, he said, he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. What did he mean by this? God is the God who is. I hope that we all have the ambition to make progress. Like whoever you are here today, whatever age you are, whatever your interests are, we all have this in common, surely, that we want to be better this year than we were last year whatever it is, better at doing something, just even better at being. We realize there are things we could improve on, and so we strive to get there. But we must never think of God like that. And that's part of what this name of God is teaching us. We must never think of God like that. He simply is, and He always has been what He is, and He always will be what He is. There's a sense, actually, in which God is the only one who truly is. Um, I don't want to uh, get us all confused today, but God is the only one who is because everything else has its existence from Him. He gives existence to everything else. He is the one who is. He says, I am. He is always present. In the past, the present, or the future, God is always, I am. In the New Testament, the writer to the Hebrews says of Jesus Christ that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that is surely part of what God is communicating here about Himself, that He is the eternal, unchanging One. That's who Yahweh the Lord is, the eternal, unchanging One. And that's backed up by the third God said in verse 15, when He tells Moses to say to the people, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. The same God who is, in the present tense, still the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, He has sent Moses. It's the same God. And it's by this name that God says He will be known in verse 15. This is my name forever, and thus I'm to be remembered throughout all generations. In Exodus 6, verse 3, the Lord says to Moses, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, the Lord, Yahweh, 
I did not make myself known to them. By my name, I did not make myself known to them. And as I said earlier, it's not. If you go back and read Genesis, the name the Lord is there. So it's not that his name was never heard before, but the implications of what it is for God to be the Lord are now becoming clear. And here the Lord is telling his people he is the eternal, unchanging, and therefore faithful God. He has not forgotten his covenant with Abraham, and in fact, often a shorthand way of explaining God's name is to say that Yahweh is the covenant name of God. It reminds his people of his unwavering, unchanging commitment to them. And this is a moment in world history and a moment in Bible history because God says, from now on, through all generations, this is how I will be known. And it could be argued that actually the rest of the book of Exodus is an unfolding of what it means for God to have this name. And the best way for us to, to grasp the other implications of that name is simply to take it from the text. And even just the remainder of chapter 3, there's so much more for us. We find here that God is a God who is relational. God is a God who is relational. Notice what God is doing in these verses. Moses is to tell God's people in verse 16 that um, the Lord, the God of your fathers, has appeared to me saying, you see that he has appeared to me saying, um, God appears, God speaks. God is doing something here. It's not just the fact that this God exists, but that He is relational. He's appeared to Moses, and He's spoken to Moses. Now, we could think, of course, that Moses has this uniquely privileged opportunity to experience these things about God, but what about the rest of the Israelites? Are they just simply to be glad that Moses, their leader, has met God, and that will do? Well, there's a detail here that I think is significant, and especially significant for us uh, look at verse 18. Uh, Moses is told to meet the elders of Israel, so these heads of the tribes, and to tell them that the Lord has appeared, and he's to take those elders and go to Pharaoh, and what are they to say to him? The Lord, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. He has met with us. Well, how on earth could those elders say that? It was only Moses whom God met with. But actually, we're learning that there's something that will become a biblical pattern here, that as the Word of God is shared with others, God meets with them. God meets with those who hear His Word. Moses simply comes with the message from God, and in so doing, those elders could say, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. God's very words effectively act as an extension of Himself. To hear His Word is to come into the presence of God. It is to come for a meeting with the living God. 
A day would come when the Israelites would, would fall into unfaithfulness to God, and the worst thing imaginable happened to them. This is how the news was broken to them through the prophet Amos. He said, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. It was the worst kind of famine because it means no meeting place with God. Read through the Gospels, and repeatedly you'll find that Jesus brings anyone who will hear back to the heart of the issue, and it's this, when you hear His words, you must, you must respond to them. What you do with His words is what ultimately will determine your destiny. Listen to some of these words. Jesus says in John 5, Truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. John 10, he says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. It's what we do when we hear the words of Jesus that matters because when we hear God's words, we are meeting with Him. And those things are recorded for us in the Gospels. Those words of Christ are recorded for us so that Jesus' words would come to you and to me today. And as we hear God's Word, even in this room, so many years after what we're reading of, He still meets with us. He still confronts us. And it is still the case that how we respond to His Word will determine how He relates to us. So, do we hear God's Word and respond by believing and submitting? Or do we hear God's Word and respond with arrogance and rejection? God is meeting with us. He wants us to understand today who He is. He is the Lord, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who is the great I Am, who is eternal, unchangeable, faithful, relational, and this God comes to meet you today in the pages of His words. And as His Spirit takes those words to us, we meet Him. And what do we do? The United Nations Universal Declaration of Human Rights, Article Number 18, reads as follows Everyone has the right to freedom of thought, conscience, and religion. This right includes freedom to change religion or belief, and freedom either alone or in community with others, and in public or private to manifest his religion or belief in teaching, practice, worship, and observance. Now, like most governments in the world today, Pharaoh thought that was nonsense. Pharaoh had no time for this kind of thing. People are there to be coerced, and if necessary, forced into compliance with what they're told. 
And we see this because Moses is told to make an entirely reasonable request to Pharaoh at first. You see that in verse 18? The request he's told to go and make is to say, please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Now, this is not what God is planning to do, but surely this is given to show the stubbornness of the king of Egypt. It's to reveal the heart of Pharaoh, because this is a very reasonable request, isn't it? What are they saying? They're saying, well, we've been enslaved here for hundreds of years. Could we have a week off to worship our God? There'll be three days travel, a day to worship, and three days back. What do you think? And Pharaoh is going to say, no chance. But you see, God knows what's going to happen. And in verse 19, he tells us that he even knows what's going on in Pharaoh's heart. But the Lord reveals for him to be Yahweh, the Lord, is for him to be a God who intervenes for his people. He intervenes for his people. Pharaoh won't let them go unless he's compelled to do so. That's what he says in verse 19. And so, in verse 20, that's just what God is going to do. God says, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. God's commitment to his people is not just that he's rooting for them, not just that he wishes them well, it is that he is willing and ready to intervene for their good. This is what it means to know the Lord. It is to have all the might of an almighty God working for you so that he would keep his promises to you. The book of Exodus will show us that in stunning detail. Show us that the Lord is sovereign over the natural world, that the Lord is superior to all the gods of Egypt, and that the Lord is sovereign even over the hearts of human beings. It will take ten severe plagues to break Pharaoh, and it will take the parting of the Red Sea to finally end his rebellion against God and free the Israelites from slavery. But here's the thing, God is saying, whatever it takes… I will do. And as the revelation about God unfolds in Scripture, we see that this is not a one-off. This is who God is. And this wonderful message about who God is reaches its climax in Jesus Christ. For the problem of human slavery, not to Egyptians, but human slavery to sin is severe. The Bible would tell us that each one of us is enslaved, enslaved by our own sinful desires, enslaved by the inevitable death that lies ahead of us, and even enslaved by the influence of the devil himself. And if we are ever to be God's people, every one of those slaveries needs to be broken. And so God intervenes. And to borrow the language of Exodus 3, God stretches out His hand, not to send plagues this time, but to allow His hands to be nailed to a cross. 
In John chapter 8, Jesus says to some of his critics who were, who were boasting that they were sons of Abraham, he says to them, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. He deliberately takes this name of God that we find in Exodus 3 and claims it as his own. He identifies himself as the I am. The I am who sent Moses has himself come. The I am becomes a man, a perfect man, and lays down that perfect life in the place of slaves like us. And in his life, his death, his resurrection from the dead, Jesus breaks every one of those slave masters that bind us. And he does that for you and for me as we come to him believing, turning from sin, turning to follow him to a new fruitful life lived in obedience to Jesus. And let's not forget where we've been. As this word comes to you today, you're meeting with God. The glorious message about Jesus, who is the I am, it comes to us today. It's a message that says, He has done everything needed to forgive you your sin and to bring you to Him, one of His people, one of His family even. Will you come believing? One last point. The Lord is revealed here as the God who transforms lives. As God speaks to Moses, his people, they are slaves in Egypt. And by definition, the kind of slavery that they endured in Egypt was one where they were sorely oppressed. They owned nothing that they could call their own. They were a people who were on the lowest possible rung of society, crying out in desperation. And yet God says that not only will He secure their release from Pharaoh, but they will, in verse 21, be given favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And as they leave that land, their Egyptian neighbors will give them their precious things, their silver, their gold jewelry, and their clothes. The poorest slaves in Egypt shall march out of Egypt with the wealth of Egypt on their children's backs. That's what God says. Their fortunes will be utterly reversed and ultimately be brought to a promised land flowing with milk and honey. Now, we've seen this already, haven't we? God is going to change their fortunes. He's, he's already said, this is the sign, Moses, you're going to come back to this mountain, and you'll all serve me here. And it's more than that, because when the time comes to leave, we read that some of the Egyptians leave with them. This is the ultimate transformation that God is embarking upon. Egyptians, for so long in opposition to God, will join with His people and will also gather at that mountain and worship Him. This is always what God is like. 
This is always the glorious message of what God does for His people. He takes them from desperation and danger, and He brings them to a new place, a new land, one flowing with abundance. And that is the promise that Jesus gives. His promise is the gift of eternal life. And He defines that for us in John 17. He says, this is eternal life, that they know You, Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is the abundant life he brings us into, a life where we know this God, the one who has revealed his name, the one who intervenes for his people's goods. That life will be bumpy at times, it will be full of heartbreak at times, but here's what eternal life is, to know Yahweh the I am. So, we can say, as we have this fuller picture of what the Bible says about what is in this name, we can say, well, what is in the name? What is in the name of Jesus? Here's what's in His name. He is the eternal, unchangeable, faithful God who enters into relationship with His people who intervenes on their behalf for their good, and who promises to transform their lives from slaves to sin to servants of the Most High God, with the hope of eternal life in the age to come. We hear that message today. God meets with us today, and He says, what are you going to do with it? Why else would God meet with us if He wasn't ready to receive us? Yeah, even you, even you. Let us turn to the Lord Jesus and let us look to Him and find the transformation that only He can bring. Amen. Yes, thank you. I hope you can stay for teas and coffees after. Um, I'm sure if any of you got any questions after the sermon, Dunk would be more than happy to be at the front here to chat with you. Let me just close with these words. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Bless you all.